Jingophilia. Hello, fellow Anglophiles, and welcome to a brand spanking new season of motherfucking Anglophilia. I'm Ooh. Stephanie Callis. I'm Kaylee McMahon. Kaylee, it is so good to see you on my computer screen again. Ah, oh, Stephanie, your face is like sunshine. If I liked sunshine. <laughs> if you liked sunshine. Like sun. But I like you. How you been? Happy New Year. Yeah, Happy New Year, man. Season three. Oh gonna do a season three of this thing, I guess. Why yeah. the fuck not? Yeah, hell yeah. Back to our original format where we're talking about a different Britcom each week. Yeah, we haven't recorded anything together since we did our, our lovely Love Actually episode, which I loved. Yeah. I loved making that. Although it was weird not seeing you in person in Christmas oh, at all. That was I know. My, my parents moved from California to New Jersey and... Uh, and now I won't be spending Christmases in California anymore. So no more Pizookies at BJ's or, or cheesecakes split at the Cheesecake Factory. I, I considered going to the Cheesecake Factory and just sitting by myself, silently weeping, <laughs> eating cheesecake. <laughs> Maybe oh talking God. to you, talking to an imaginary Kaylee. I could have gone to the one in, in New Jersey and then like we could <laughs> sing somewhere out there at the same time, but not knowing that just like trust that the other one is happens to be there at the same time. <laughs> Oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> or or we could Facetime while we do it. Oh, oh man, uh, yeah. But uh, Stephanie and I did get to see each other in London for a week, uh, and that was magical. We went to see the League of Gentlemen live, which just fulfilled a lifelong or not lifelong, but like life since I was sixteen long dream. We also had tea four times. Oh or my was god. it five times? We drank a lot of tea. We took a lot of pictures. I befriended a really sweet barista named Freddie and had a great conversation with a League of Gentlemen fan named Max after the show. We swam in a sea of sexy accents and fell in love with a beautiful waiter named Sam. Sam. I thought of Sam the other day. It was freaking me out thinking oh about Sam. Anyway, so uh, so we're thrilled to be back. I'm really excited to talk about the show we're going to talk about today because you it do. was... It was my first time. I didn't know that. We are going to be having some fun, fun, fun in the sun, sun, sun today because we're talking Red Dwarf, guys. I Okay, wow. This was wow. the last Britcom of my childhood. My mom got the DVDs my senior year of high school, so it's the last thing that I can feel a sort of childhood nostalgia for. So I was surprised that I never showed you any of this. You showed me the first two episodes. I've seen the pilot and Future Echoes. We watched it oh, okay. on my couch. I think that you showed me two episodes of Red Dwarf and then I showed you the pilot of Bottom. I think it was just like an incredible afternoon, but I that was, no I did not continue watching that. Red Dwarf after that. I, dude, that's crazy. I feel like I got Bottom wiped from my memory. <laughs> <laughs> bottom was wiped very that good was, that was completely not intentional wait isn't that kind of the plot of inception <laughs> it's the plot of a lot of things oh, i didn't man. see inception do they just dream of bottoms <laughs> i dream of bottoms <laughs> anyway let's get back to the actual show that we're talking about <laughs> so Red Dwarf is a sci-fi comedy series created by Rob Grant and Doug Naylor. They based their idea on a series of radio sketches that they had written, and it was about five years between when they wrote the pilot and when it finally aired. Conventional wisdom in the industry was that nobody wants to see a sci-fi comedy. And then millions of fans proved them wrong. Oh it aired on BBC Two for eight seasons from 1988 to 1999, and then it was revived on the channel Dave from 2009 to the present day. This is the first show that we've talked about that is actually ongoing. Wait, they're coming back again? 
Maybe. It's not confirmed, but they might. Okay. So anyway, the show starred Craig Charles as Dave Lister, Chris Barry as Arnold Rimmer, Danny John Jules as the cat, and Norman Lovett as Holly. In season three, Norman Lovett left the series and was replaced by Hattie Hayridge. Also permanently joining the cast that season was Robert Llewellyn as Crichton. The show has gone through a lot of changes in the 30 years since it first aired, and we'll cover those changes as we go, but for now, let's start with the basic premise. The show mostly takes place aboard the mining ship Red Dwarf. In the pilot, the captain discovers that Dave Lister, the lowest ranking member of the crew, has smuggled a pregnant cat on board, which goes against regulations as the animal could be carrying diseases. And when Lister refuses to surrender his pet, he is sent into a suspended animation chamber as punishment. When he gets out of stasis, after what was supposed to be an 18-month sentence, Lister is informed by Holly, the ship's senile computer who appears as a disembodied head on a screen, that he has been frozen for three million years because a fatal radiation leak has wiped out the rest of the Red Dwarf crew, making Lister the last human being alive. To keep Lister company, Holly brings back Lister's odious uptight bunkmate and immediate superior Arnold Rimmer as a hologram. And then, rounding out our cast of characters, there is also a humanoid creature who is a descendant of Lister's pet cat. So that about covers it, at least for the first two seasons. I really love this show. It has, like I said, a really strong pull of nostalgia for me. I was completely obsessed. There's so much joy and silliness, especially in the early seasons. I think that season seven is sort of where it starts to really uh, decline. Change! In quality. <laughs> yes, it yeah. changed. <laughs> I mean, we, it does. Well, I mean, I borrowed all of the DVDs from my mom this right. past month to watch them. We had seasons one through eight on DVD and season eight was still in its shrink wrap because oh, that's... <laughs> we, Jema and I just gave up about halfway through season seven. But I think season eight is actually a little bit better. All I really remember from season eight is when they are trying to lure a T-Rex into a room where there is a pool full of vindaloo so it can crap out something that it swallowed so i mean <laughs> but again better than season seven <laughs> well let's let's talk about the early years because they really are pretty fucking good while i'm sure that it was a great show to watch in high school as a teenager and mm -hmm. to have these nostalgic feelings that you have it was kind of awesome to watch the show as an adult because it's just so much also about loneliness yeah. and, and time. And also, this is kind of terrible, but, you know, the Earth has been destroyed and Fiji's underwater. So mm -hmm. it was kind of relevant in a way that I wish it weren't. Yeah. So th these are things that I was thinking about as the episodes went on, but I hated the pilot. Wow. I, I Maybe I should watch it again, but like... Justify yourself. Okay, I'll put it this way. My very first note, and I like that it's ambiguous because you and I both know we're doing a Shag, Mary kill in a little bit, uh -oh. but the very first note I took on the very first page just says, fuck Rimmer. Oh. As in, I hate you. But <laughs> I, not as in... Or maybe both? Okay. We'll talk we'll, about it. We sure the hell will. <laughs> but I was just looking at Rimmer and I was like, you want to be Rick Mayall so bad and you're just not. And oh. I let it piss me off. Oh, wow. That's harsh. This all completely changed. Good. I'm sharing good. this opinion because it changed 100%. Very good. I do want to talk a little bit more about the pilot. I really like the pilot. And like you said, I like that this show, in addition to being like a fun, silly sitcom, it does have a lot of sort of more philosophical elements like you said there's the thing about loneliness and isolation the fact that this kind of like what they were going for with season four of Blackadder actually is a very claustrophobic thing yeah even though it's like they travel through space and it's infinite and there's so many different locations and they'll go to different planets and different dimensions and parallel universes that's what's so cool about a sci-fi series is that there's really no limit except for your imagination but also it's just a couple of dudes who really hate each other and are trapped together it's you know it's the odd couple 
people in space. And P.S. Only one of them is human. Oh, yeah. Lister's human. Rimmer begins as a human and then dies while Lister is safe in stasis. So Rimmer is a hologram. He cannot touch or feel things. Holly is just a face on a computer. And Cat, while a humanoid, is a fucking cat and (laughs) is very shallow and, you know, not the deepest of humanoids. Yeah. So... So yeah, he's the last man alive, and it's good that he doesn't have to do that completely alone, but no one can really relate to him in the way that a human could. Yeah. It's kind of scary if you think about it too much. Oh, no, absolutely. Going back to Cat for a minute, and you, you mentioned the thing about how, like, Chris Barry wants to be Rick Mail. We will, we will discuss that later. But I do think that Cat, similarly to what I said about Vivian in The Young Ones, has another of my favorite TV entrances of all time. I remember when I first saw that pilot, when I just saw him you know, rolling out of that vent and he's got this crazy, like, flashy suit on and you have no idea who this person is with, like, these vampire teeth talking to himself and being all vain and shallow. I was like, what the fuck? This is incredible. Looking nice. <laughs> no, wait a minute. I'm looking better than nice. I'm looking dangerous. Ow! Dangerous! Ah! Hey, what's that? Oh, it's my shadow. <laughs> hey, even my shadow's looking nice. I'm looking nice, my shadow's looking nice. What a team! We are unbelievable! Okay, team, this way. No, this way. And then we find out that he's a cat and it all makes perfect sense in a weird sort of sci-fi, not actually making sense kind of way. You know what? I misspoke. I didn't hate the pilot, I hated season one. Whoa! Which, oh my god! Okay. Two different things. Okay. I, did I you, liked did episodes you... one and two. Okay. And then I don't know why, but I got kind of bored. I will agree that those are the two strongest episodes of season one. It's not like Blackadder, where it's like the pilot's good and then totally fuck the rest. But I right. do really like the pilot, which is called The End. And I also really like Future Echoes, which is the next one, because that's yeah. the first one that sort of experiments with the fun of science fiction. So what happens in this episode is that they break light speed, which then causes them to see echoes of things that will happen in the future, which raises age-old questions of, you know, can you escape your fate, but also provides a lot of fantastic comedic opportunities. One of my favorite scenes is the one where there's the the parallel conversations that gets repeated with Rimmer and Lister, where first you see Rimmer having this one-sided conversation and Lister's really baffled, and then it gets repeated and it all makes perfect sense. Yo, Rimmer, look, I've been thinking. What? You know, about going into stasis and everything. How did I do what? (laughs) What do you mean, how did I do what? Lister, don't be a gimboid. I'm not being a gimboid. (laughs) I've just been in the library thinking, and I've decided... Shut up! (laughs) As I was saying before I was so rudely interrupted, I've decided when you go into stasis, I want to stay behind. I want to be left on. What? On, On your own for the rest of your life? What things? <laughs> I said what? What's going on? You're space crazy. I'm space crazy. You're the one who's space crazy? Well, it probably is deja vu. It sounds like it. <laughs> ah, Rima! I've just seen you walk out of that door. What? How did you do that? How did I do what? You just the second walked out of that door. Listen, don't be a gimboy. I swear on my grandmother's life as you walked out of that door. You came in this one. I've just been in the library thinking, and I've decided... Rimmer, I'm telling you. Shut up. 
As I was saying before I was so rudely interrupted, I decided when you go into stasis, I want to stay behind. I want to be left on. Rima, you just come in and said exactly these things. What things? You said that. I said what? And that. You said that. You are space crazy. And then you said, well, it probably is deja vu. Well, it probably is deja vu. It sounds like <laughs> And it's that whole fun paradox of time travel and how like by causing one thing you know it's like a snake eating its own tail i i love that i think it's really fun and clever yeah no future echoes was a great episode and i just want to make it clear that by season two i was completely you know on board so to (laughs) so to speak it's not as good as wiping bottom but that's good (laughs) it's not but for a second i was kind of going oh fuck do i really have to watch this this is gonna be awkward when we go to record it i have nothing to say but anyway that did eventually turn around and there did come a point where i went okay fuck this is incredible that's good but you can even see growing pains taking place in front of you like by season two i feel like Rimmer was a great character. Everything from his performance, even to the dialogue they gave him, was just way better. Like, yeah. season one, he calls Lister dishwasher breath. And there was this big laugh, and I went, okay, seriously? <laughs> and then by season two, he's saying, you're about as useful as a condom machine in the Vatican. And I'm like, now that's good. Yeah, the writers and the performers definitely found their way. It's interesting. There was something in a documentary that I watched where they said that the characters sort of became like caricatures of the actors who played them, which I totally believe. <laughs> That's the fun of a television series that goes on for a long period of time is that the writers can sort of adapt to write specifically for the performers that they have and use those elements of them. Like they said that, you know, sometimes they would just be having conversations offset and then in the next script, there would be something that was taken just verbatim. Yeah, I liked how in that documentary, Craig Charles just full on admitted that he hated Chris Berry for the first couple years of the show. Yeah. I mean, they made it work, man. They made it work. I agree with what you said about season one, how it is sort of like a a season of growing pains, which is when I think of most television shows, season one is usually the worst season of a show that doesn't go on for too long. Uh, You know, there's like the season one where they're sort of finding their feet and then there's the glorious heyday and then there's the decline. And, you know, with most of the British shows that we've talked about here, you know, it like Mr. Bean only was one season, so you can't have a bad season one. Faulty Towers, Young Ones, also two seasons. Like, I think that maybe Blackadder is the only one that had a sort of rough first season and then it ended on a fantastic note. Mm-hmm. But since this is a show that has now had 12 seasons, it's a little bit more in line with what I think of as American comedy, where it's a little bit rocky at the start, but then they really find their footing. So we've got... Lister, who's the sloppy last human alive, and Mm -hmm. Rimmer, who is an uptight overachiever who simultaneously kind of sucks at everything he does. Yeah. Um, And then we've got Kat, who's, you know, just only is concerned about how good he looks, which is fantastic. (laughs) And um, eventually we've got Crichton, the mechanoid um, robot who can can do no wrong until um, Lister breaks his programming so that he learns how to lie, which is Mm -hmm. great. Um, do, Do you have any character that you feel like you relate to? Okay, so... I'm embarrassed to say it, knowing your feelings about him, but I feel like I'm kind of a rimmer, or certainly I was in school. And You're I not think a season that one rimmer, though. Oh, thank you, sweetie. <laughs> um, I think that uh, no one's a season one anything. No. Yeah, it's like I'm rimmer, and then in my adulthood, I've become a bit more listery. Like I've learned a little bit to relax. How about you? I feel like Lister and Crichton are the 
Lister and Crichton on my shoulder, you know, like, I I don't want to say that people have an angel and a devil because I don't believe in all that. Mm -hmm. But I believe in Lister and Crichton. (laughs) I feel like on one shoulder is my Capricorn abide by the rules. Fuck, I've got to clean these dishes. How can I make things easier for everybody else? Mm-hmm. You know, what can I do for everybody else? I better anticipate how everyone else is going to fuck up and then go fix it myself because it's how mm-hmm. I'm programmed. And then on the other shoulder, I'm just like, I want curry. <laughs> I Here's the thing. I There aren't any characters on this, at least in the first six yeah. seasons, that I don't love. I love Holly. I love the deadpan delivery. I, I have no preference between male Holly and female Holly. I think they're both, both completely Hollies. excellent. Yeah. And again, just really fantastic writing for that character. Of course, I love Crichton. He's he's so sweet, yet also has a little bit of an edge once Lister teaches him how to break his programming. And I also have to give Robert Llewellyn props for being able to turn in such a funny performance with limited use of his face. I know! He's it's... in that giant mechanoid makeup and suit the entire time. Yeah, that's a real skill to be able to... I mean, except for there are times like when he's trying to insult Rimmer, but he can't go against his program. And he goes like, you're a smee, you're a smee. And he's got like this weird sort of like constipated face that's very funny. But for the most part, it's just voice and body language. And it's really cool. Now, it's funny the first time we see Crichton, which is the beginning of season two. Mm-hmm. And he's only in one episode and he's played by a different actor and he's in a different mechanoid suit. Yeah. But... Some of the early charm of this show is that I feel like there's a specific shot where you see Crichton in profile and his mask is actually kind of falling apart oh, at no. his jawline. <laughs> Did I miss that? Like these sets and some of these costumes and props are so janky looking and it's yeah. wonderful. I agree. And then later on in later seasons when they get a bigger budget... It's like what we said about Monty Python, like more smoke doesn't make it funnier and no. you know, better, better special effects. It's all about the writing and the characters' relationships. I mean, the season five special effects where, where they are able to have graphics, I mean, that's, that's one thing. And I think I made a note like now this is as big of a budget as they should ever have. Interesting, yeah. And then when it gets to season seven and eight, where even the lighting changes mm-hmm. and you're kind of going, this looks entirely too high tech. Why is there CGI? That's yeah. when it kind of becomes a different show for me. Oh, oh, yeah. But that, Crichton, yeah, go, go back. You can kind of see his face actually falling apart. And, <laughs> you know, they, they bring him on board and he cleans everything up. And the way in which the set changes, it goes from like ugly and run down to ugly and functional. Like all Crichton has put up like the ugliest curtains in the world. <laughs> it's like, oh, you've made the place so nice. Well, that's something that I like. I like how ugly the set is. Again, it's sort of like what I said about Blackadder season four. Like it can't be like a lush, beautiful, exciting, exotic place. Like there, Lister is trapped more or less alone in space forever. Millions of light years away from home. Yeah. Uh, and it's... You, you feel like little bits of the horror, and the show doesn't really shy away from the incredible sadness of that fact. Um, no, which I, I really, really appreciate. Like, in the pilot, when he wakes up and Holly says, everybody's dead, Dave, mm-hmm. it's funny, but yeah. they kind of don't let you forget as the seasons go on that that's actually a real bummer. Yeah. And time slides mm-hmm. in season two, where the whole opening is just Lister being depressed and yeah, he's yeah. literally saying things like I hate my life I'm all alone I don't mm-hmm. have anyone to love earth is gone yeah I have nothing to live for and totally. you kind of go shit this is 
this is great. They're not shying away from from any of that. Yeah, there are just these little moments on the show, like when they go to the observation deck and it's like a, a little change of setting and the music is so lovely. Like the, sometimes some of it can be really haunting and emotionally effective. Howard Goodall did the music, who also did Black Adder and Mr. Bean. So. Oh, really? Yeah, there are some cues in this that kind of remind me a little bit of season one Black Adder. If you if you listen back, you'll you'll hear what I mean. Okay. But yeah, you do really feel for these characters, even though they're also complete jokes at the same time. You know, going back to Rimmer for a second, in lesser hands, he could be just a completely not sympathetic, one-joke kind of character. But you see a lot of his humanity, and you see the reason that he's so fucked up. Well, my first, like, oh, fuck, this is my fave thing that happened mm-hmm. is um, the third episode of season two, Thanks for the Memory. Oh, yeah. And this was, for me, like, a huge turning point in the quality of the show. I feel like it mm-hmm. went from... You know, oh, okay, how am I going to do this? Oh, this is cute. Oh, shit, this is a great show. And it opens with a bit of a a break from all of the gloom of being stuck on a spaceship. Mm -hmm. They found a planet with a breathable atmosphere. So it opens with them having fun somewhere, which is really cute. They're all on this other planet. Lister's got his guitar. (laughs) Rimmer's dancing in a cage. (laughs) Yeah, Rimmer's in a cage. Hot. They're all dancing and, um, you know, Rimmer gets drunk for the first time and he and Lister have this drunken conversation about love and Rimmer admits he's only had sex one time and that he's (laughs) never actually had a loving relationship and he says, I'd trade everything in to love and to have been loved. Oh, I know. And so Lister, who really often can't stand Rimmer but is stuck with him, mm-hmm. he decides to download eight months of his memory and give it to Rimmer because mm-hmm. you have that technology. So then Rimmer wakes up, he's hung over and everything, but he's got this memory of this eight-month-long love affair that really was Lister's in his real life. Yeah. And It's so heartbreaking when he learns the truth that it was a fake memory and he's actually heartbroken for this woman Mm -hmm. that he thought that he loved and Lister's like, dude, I I just wanted to do something nice for you. I I meant no harm. And then they get to have kind of some fun hijinks of, well, we've got to go back and put it all back in the right place. But I just really, really loved that. And I know that that's not as funny as seeing them fight with each other. But I feel like every once in a while, with a show this long, you know, it's not like a Faulty Towers where Basil and Manuel are never going to be friends, but it's only 12 episodes. It's different when it's going to be 73 episodes. So it was nice when they occasionally insert just these little moments. And they still do an incredible job of utilizing the science fiction. It's not just you know, a sweet little episode that has nothing to do with space. They're still abiding by these otherworldly space rules of swapping memories and watching each other's dreams and time travel and this and that. It was really, really good. No, it's true. I think that that is really a perfect episode and a a prime example of Red Dwarf at its peak because it has my essential three, which is brains, heart, and humor. Brains, there's the sci-fi element, like you said. It's very creative outside the box. Like, you wouldn't see this on any other sitcom, really. And it is, it's still funny without being mean. One of the funniest lines is when Rimmer is realizing that that these memories aren't really his. And he said, that's why I was an orphan, even though my parents were alive and why I had my appendix out twice. Like, that's a fantastic joke. Yes. But it doesn't come from being mean. And there is something so sweet 
about seeing people be nice to each other on TV. Like that's why that's why so many like terrible shows are really popular because it's just something that human beings want to see. It it evokes a very specific emotional reaction in us when we see people being good to other people, yeah. even if they can't stand them. Yeah. This is a, a minor thing, but um, the physical properties of Rimmer as a hologram. That's something that I want to talk about because it's, the rules are pretty inconsistent. And like, I'm not going to hammer this. Like they were doing the best that they could. This is primarily a comedy, not a sci-fi show. And I prefer comedy. Like I don't really care about the rules, but it is sort of funny to see where they draw the line. I think it's season six is when they encounter a superior being who is, you know, very technologically advanced. And then he changes Rimmer's hologram from soft light to hard light. So he's able to have a physical presence. But I remember seeing in the pilot, when we first see Rimmer as a hologram, he leans on a little bit of the spaceship and then he falls through. And I'm like, wow, that's, they're not going to be able to keep that rule up because he shouldn't be able to like stand on the floor or collapse on a bed or anything. But like in Thanks for the Memory, we see him eating a sandwich and then collapsing into his bunk and everything. And I'm like, how, you know, Holly has to do his hair. At one point, Holly gets pissed off and gives him a weird beehive when he's (laughs) trying to get a crew cut or, you know, has to change his uniform for him or give him a cold shower and brush his teeth. And you just see him miming these things. And I wrote down this note that I was like, because, you know, holograms can't touch anything or themselves i was like could he could he ask holly for a hand job because he's asking for a shower like why wouldn't he be able to relieve his tension like that are we <laughs> jumping straight into this because i, I was just i was just wondering <laughs> <laughs> okay so i did not google red dwarf porn because <laughs> oh, i knew Stephanie, what i would let me find down. And, oh, because um, you thought that you'd find, like, a little person who was painted red. <laughs> similar to how I didn't want to type in young ones porn, I didn't okay. want to type in dwarf porn. <laughs> That's you making know? me think of Psycho <laughs> Oh, of course I thought of, not dwarf porn. But, um, but I don't know. I do kind of feel like Red Dwarf is the other, you know, aside from the young ones, it's like, oh, yeah, I want to see this porn real bad. <laughs> <laughs> Because, like, again, there's no limits except for our imaginations. There's so many (laughs) weird possibilities. (laughs) Oh, my God. I know, I know, I know. Like, I was thinking about... I was thinking about who would be with who. Like, I feel like Crichton and Lister would have a very... uh, sweet scene together (laughs) any scene with cat would just be completely bizarre and very like 70s (laughs) but but i kind of feel like holly giving rimmer i mean i was gonna say a handjob but sure i was just making a pun (laughs) plus you wouldn't even have to change rimmer's name because god damn it oh i know the creators claim that they didn't have you know analingus in mind sure Uh, they said that they got the characters names from friends that they had at school rimmer and lister were people that they knew and you know that is a real name but like you can't be completely ignorant of the implications like from even when i was 17 i was like hey now well especially since you know rimmer is an ass kisser oh yeah no i know yeah Yeah. so it just come on guys admit it (laughs) no it's 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 completely okay so similarly with the connotations of rimmer i was always really curious about the term smeg or smeghead oh god i know i know so this this show for anyone you know uninitiated smeg is sort of the catch-all expletive so you know as a kid i always thought like 
is this derived from the word smegma? Like, there's no way that it's not. But again, they, the creators go on the record and they say that that's not what they had in mind. They said that they wanted to come up with something that sounded like a believable curse word. And they said that they tried a bunch of different combinations of consonants and vowels. And that was the best thing that they came up with. Smeg, smeghead, smeggin. <laughs> yep. You know. I mean, that, it's that, great. <laughs> it's great. It, it took a little getting used to for me, but I eventually totally embraced it and have found myself saying what the smag in my head over the <laughs> past smag. couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Now, speaking of Crichton, how did you feel when he officially joined the show and was on there in every episode? I was oh, happy. I was happy too, because yeah. like I said, it's such a small and claustrophobic thing. And Crichton is sort of, you know, the episode, The Inquisitor? where they are all judged to be like, you know, whether or not they are worthy of existence. And then the judge ends up being themselves. And Lister and Crichton are the ones who are deemed unworthy because they are aware that they are not living up to their potential. Whereas Kat thinks he's perfect. So if he's got such low expectations, then yeah, he's doing great. And Rimmer also, you know, despite being such a loser on every possible level and so full of self-loathing, he finds a way to blame everybody else for his problems. And so he thinks that he's doing the best with what he has. And so, yeah, I think that Crichton, despite, you know, being a robot, he's got like complexities within him in a way that make him kind of the most human character outside of the actual other human. So yeah. it was nice to give Lister some a, a companion that could be an ally and not just a completely stupid animal that only cares about clothes and himself and not just a, a comedic foil. Yeah, yeah. About that Inquisitor episode, I loved that the final judge of whether your life was worth living was yourself. Oh, yeah. That was, how relatable is that? No, I know. That's another example of this show having such great and complex ideas that touch on so many realities of life, even outside of a science fiction context. The criterion is not fame. It is simply to have lived a worthwhile life. Why did no one mention this before? If I'd been told about this at the start, that the object was to lead a worthwhile life, I could have done something about it. All those charity telethons when I used to ring in and pledge donations. If I'd known all this, I would have given them my credit card number. (laughs) Sir, sir, you don't have to be a great philanthropist or a missionary worker. You simply have to seize the gift of life. Oh, God. Make a contribution. Oh, God. No matter how small. Oh, God. You simply simply have to have led a life that wasn't totally egocentric, vain, and self-serving. You're doing this on purpose, aren't you? I mean, I think about that all the time. Like, am I doing the best with what I've been given, and am I worthy of occupying the space and the time when someone who is better could be in my place? Maybe the next sperm over would have been a much nicer person, or you know, doing doing a better job of, yeah, it's, <laughs> once you start going down that road, it can get very depressing. But yeah, I, I, I think about that episode a lot, even before yeah. rewatching it this time. That stuck out in my head. Yeah. Um, speaking of kind of relatable things that you think about a lot, another one that I love from season two is Parallel Universe. Yes. Oh. <laughs> so in this episode, they encounter another red dwarf, but everybody on board is there opposite. And so for Lister and Rimmer, that means they encounter their female versions of themselves. Yeah. Um, Holly too. And, and Holly, too. And Kat is super stoked because he thinks, oh, hell yeah, I'm going to get to have sex with a female version of me. But no, his opposite <laughs> is a dog, which is really, really funny. His, op- yeah. his opposite is a sloppy dog. Mm-hmm. But there's this great discussion about gender dynamics and gender politics that they get to have in a really 
you know, not at all a heavy-handed or clumsy way where you think, okay, thanks, male writers, for giving us this. <laughs> it's it's just really, really fucking good. Like, yeah. they've got, you know, the female Lister, who's Deb instead of Dave. Male Lister often has magazines lying around with, you know, mm-hmm. centerfolds and, and whatnot. And so Rimmer sees Deb Lister's magazines that have pictures of scantily clad men. And Rimmer <laughs> is horrified by this. Yeah. And I love when female Rimmer says, you're not one of those boring masculinists, yes. are you? <laughs> because they're in this female-dominated universe. And they talk about the 1960s equal rights for men marches and the <laughs> male eunuch by Jeremy Greer. Right, and they burned their jock straps. <laughs> so that makes for some fun when they all go out and get drunk together. Yeah. And female Rimmer starts accosting male Rimmer. Yes. And male Rimmer is so horrified by how rapey, you know, this mm-hmm. this woman is. And I love that Lister is able to be like, dude, she's you. This yeah. is this is you. Lister is kind of surprisingly woke in this episode. Because yeah. it also opens with him lecturing Rimmer on how women are people. They're not, he says they're not aliens. Exactly. Um, which is something <laughs> you and I have said on this, on this very podcast. But um, word for word, the yeah. two lists, <laughs> yeah, the two listers wake up after a night of, you know, debauchery and mm-hmm. they kind of can't quite remember if they had sex. And then they realize, oh yeah, we did. And when female Lister says, I wouldn't have slept with you if I had known what I was doing, but she says it the way that a man would, it was really profoundly creepy. But then I kind of mm-hmm. went, whoa, she she had the power, though. Like, that's, yeah. for a woman, that's a horrifying thought. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. I, I let this stranger take advantage of me, and I probably wouldn't have done that if I had known what I was doing. But yeah. for a man, it's like, oh, what? I didn't know, whatever. Like, it, yeah, she yeah. looked hotter than she actually does because I was drunk. And then also in that same conversation, it's like, oh, I hope I hope you're pregnant. It's the man who gets pregnant, so it's the man's responsibility to take care of the birth control. And uh, mm-hmm. that, of course, is how Lister gets the twin boys that he foresaw in episode two. That's the other thing about this show is that they will they will plant little hints of things to come and then not always follow through on them, which I, which is a little bit disappointing because like yeah. in the very first episode, it's like, OK, we're heading home. I'm going to go to Fiji. And that's and that that is actually the ending theme song is his fantasy of going to Fiji and having a farm and breeding horses or whatever. And I don't know, they, they don't always they don't always pick up their own breadcrumbs, which is a little bit frustrating. But like, I'm not super mad about it. I felt like I noticed that, especially in season seven, where mm. like even Lister's origin story kind of gets tampered with and it's all a time travel thing. And yeah. I kind of thought, eh, I don't know. I liked the time travel rules more in seasons one through six. Mm hmm. Um, I, I agree with that. Well, like, for instance, the beginning of season three, they start with that great Star Wars credit roll giving <laughs> you a rundown of what happened. And it does at least address Dave's pregnancy and giving birth to the twins and what then right. happens to the twins. Yeah. Oh, I love that episode backwards. That's got yes. some really fun video effects and hilarious implications. That It also brings up an interesting philosophical question. Would you want to live in a world where everything went backwards instead of forwards? I think they made a compelling argument for it. I mean... Not if that included the things that we kind of saw, which included eating backwards and drinking backwards, which just seemed gross and unenjoyable. 
Yeah. I mean, I guess it depends on if you're if you're an optimist or a pessimist. If you think that things get better with time or things get worse. The thing that they said about how, you know, nobody gets old, you get younger and younger, and then you go back into the womb. And, you know, several decades from now, World War II will happen, and then millions of people will come back to life. Like, anything that is a tragedy can be, you know, flipped into something nice. So I kind of... I wouldn't mind living in a backwards world, even if it did mean pooping backwards, which is one of the funniest images. They don't show it. They just show Kat's face. And it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, when it, I guess when it comes to the, the World War II argument, I mean, that's of course, I would be on board with that. But I also feel like getting progressively older and getting progressively younger you know, th- there's getting older, like turning 32, and then there's getting older, like, okay, now I'm 95 and I can't, you know, wipe my bottom. But <laughs> the same thing's going to happen as you become a two-year-old, you know, it's going to be the same thing. You're still going to lose your physical capabilities and your your autonomy. One of my favorite lines, though, is when, <laughs> is because in a backwards world, they describe Santa Claus. And, and it's, you know, Santa Claus, what a bastard. He's a big fat git who sneaks down chimneys and steals all the kids' favorite toys. Thought that was cute. That is funny. Yeah, and then it's not a barroom brawl, it's a barroom tidy on Rumble. <laughs> Why is it that Lister and Cat are subject to the laws of the backwards physics, but Crichton and Rimmer aren't? Because Crichton and Rimmer land there first, and they become this novelty act where the big finale is that Crichton like drinks a glass of water forwards. Mm-hmm. I wonder, is it because they're not living beings? That's what I think. Okay. Because at first I was like, wait a minute, what? And then I remembered like, oh, right, he's a hologram. I guess maybe you wouldn't be subjected to, I don't know. It's it's sort of arbitrary and strange. Well, I, I kind of love how arbitrary it gets at any moment they can throw in. Oh, but, you know, Rimmer's in trouble because he can't touch anything. Oh, right. Completely forgot because I've seen him touching things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I like that they can just kind of go, oh, well, you know, let's let's go back, refer to this rule book that we haven't we haven't mentioned yeah. in, in a Sometimes, while. Sometimes, though, all that you need in order to be forgiven for violating your own rules is to point out the fact that you're violating your own rules, and then it's fine. Like in the Parallel Universe episode, we see we hear female Lister say, hey, holograms can touch each other. And it's like, oh, okay, cool. They can. Since when? Why not? Yeah. <laughs> we see Great. it. Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, we, we talked about Parallel Universe, but we didn't talk about my favorite part, which is tongue-tied. <laughs> oh, oh, I love tongue-tied. Okay. For anyone who doesn't know what we're talking about, tongue-tied is the obligatory random musical number that begins this episode. And uh, it turns out that they're watching it on a dream recorder because it was a dream that Cat had. Where he is singing and he's backed up by Lister and Rimmer and they're all wearing matching red suits and it's awesome. another thing that I'm so glad that I saw it exactly when I did because I would have been amused if I saw it for the first time now but when I saw it at age 17 it was my favorite fucking thing ever like my sister and I we watched it 
so many times that I think we accidentally memorized the choreography for it. Like I bought the, the CD single. I really, really loved it so much. And it's so funny if you watch it multiple times. Obviously, Danny John Jules is an amazing dancer and he's totally in his element, completely rocking it. And then the other two are so uncomfortable. Like they're looking at each other's feet and they're so like it's... I know. And the choreography isn't that complicated. No, I know. All. It's like walk, walk, walk. And then you put your hand up. Like it's not, it's not too, uh, too demanding. Even the choreography that Danny John Jules is doing isn't that complicated, but you can, that's almost an even better way to tell that he's the dancer and they're not, is they're yeah. doing the same steps, but one of them is doing it with any well. like <laughs> spirit and skill whatsoever. Totally. Now the character of Kat, so... <laughs> Remember how um, we talked about how great it would be if Mr. Bean wandered onto the set of RuPaul's Drag Race and became a contestant? <laughs> I think Cat could win Drag Race. Oh my race. god, Cat is so good. And like, obviously it goes without saying that he's got the best wardrobe. Like, he's he's basically like a male Adina Monsoon, but like, he doesn't look ridiculous as often as he looks amazing. Oh yeah, Th- those costumes, that's kind of one part about the budget increasing that I don't mind, is that by oh, yeah. seasons 10 and 11, I'm like, yes, look at this velvet shit. What are you doing? It's oh, yeah. so good. And again, yeah. like, it, it doesn't make sense because like, he's on board a spaceship. Like, is he making his own clothes? With what materials? How is this working? But I don't fucking care because it's fantastic. <laughs> Who knows? I would love to see Cat's World on on Red Dwarf someday. Oh my god, maybe maybe he'll get a spinoff. <laughs> he very well might because Danny John Jules is ageless. Like yes. we you know, this is a show that has now been going on for 30 years. And it's kind of unfortunate that he's not the hologram because he looks the same now as he did in 1988. Yup. Yup, yup. It's Although insane. I guess I, I guess Crichton looks the same too. Well, yeah. But I, I, I kind of also enjoy how from season to season, maybe, you know, the, the dimensions of his head will change a little bit. <laughs> Just like ever so slightly the way that his head is shaped. With the, <laughs> the, the, they come up with so many creative different ways of describing the way his head looks too. Like, like right. a, a like fucked a novelty up eraser. Condom. <laughs> yeah, novelty condom. Definitely a novelty condom. Yeah. yeah. Oh God. Okay, wait. Oh, that reminds me that that phrase is also something that was used in the really really unfortunate american pilot that they attempted i was considering watching that this morning but when i ran out of time no tears were shed oh no stephanie um i watched it so that you and anyone listening never ever has to it is so god awful it just it doesn't work like it's the writing isn't good but also it's weird even though it's mostly american actors their accents sound fake somehow <laughs> like it's so they're weird. so artificial like i mean you saw that two second clip in the documentary that watched that should rightly turn anybody off from actually spending 25 minutes of their life i don't know why it didn't deter me but i guess morbid curiosity got the better of me mm-hmm. it's really really bad but if we want to talk about actual american equivalents do you have any ideas because i have one i don't please tell me i think it's futurama have you seen futurama um, not as much as you have at all. Oh, man. No. Futurama is a really, really good show. I mean, on the surface, there's a lot of overlap between Futurama and Red Dwarf because, you know, sci-fi comedy for one. And both shows were canceled, but then after a period of years came back on different channels. So there's that. And then you've got the central premise where you've got an everyman, you know, slacker with a heart of gold who gets frozen in time and then wakes up in the unimaginably distant future when everybody that he knows is dead. And then he, you know, makes Mm -hmm. new friends. He has a robot companion and, you know, humanoid companion. I mean, there's, there's also a lot of 
differences in the, the worlds of the show, but they also have some overlap in terms of some of the episode plots. Like there's a body swap episode in Futurama. There's a gender swap episode. There's a parallel universe and lots of time travel. Um, in fact, just as Lister, it is revealed, is his own father, it turns out that Fry, through a time travel mishap, is his own grandfather. So yeah, there's a lot of content overlap, but also just in terms of the tone of the show, the way that it sometimes gets a little bit emotionally real, and the way that it gets very philosophical about things, and the way that it t uses the sci-fi lens as a fun way to view like real problems that we all face, not being limited by you know the constraints of reality. Lots of fun, imaginative little twists and ideas for episodes that you wouldn't see anywhere else. Sounds like you nailed it then, but it also reminds me of the question that I asked you the other night when you said, here's the, the pilot of the American Red Door if you want to watch it. And, you know, just kind of talking about like, okay, you know, there are good American television shows. I mean, that's an understatement. Of, <laughs> yeah. co of course, like there, mm -hmm. there are incredible television shows. Why are some of these attempts they, they make at reviving British shows like so bad? And I know that like you're not ever going to be a fan of the American office. <laughs> no. But I hope that you can see the world of difference between the American office and the American red dwarf. Well, but here's the thing. Season one of the American office is terrible because it's basically like a shitty shot for shot remake of season one of the British office. As I recall, at least the pilot. That's the thing. Americans can make good TV if we're doing it on our own. I'm not saying that it's impossible to do a good American adaptation of a British show. I mean, The American Office is a perfectly good comedy in its own right, but The American Office only became good once it found its own voice and split off from what the British one was. But if it's trying to like do a copycat attempt of something else that was very successful in another country with like a different aesthetic and a different sensibility and a different culture, it's never going to be as good. And I, yeah, mean, I don't, I don't, know, I don't know if it goes the other way. I don't know if there are British shows that are based on American shows or something. I mean, I know that there are like a lot of other foreign language things all throughout the world that are that I've never seen that are based on successful American franchises. But, you know, the original is almost always going to be better than anything that tries to capture that same magic of it. So except you know what I still am mystified by the idea of finding the French remake of Abfab. Oh, I've never even heard of this. Oh yes. Oh we. Yeah. I think they did that. Amazing. <laughs> Which just sounds like that could be great or this not. Is, this is a slight sidetrack, but have you ever seen the documentary Exporting Raymond? No. Oh, I highly recommend it. It's a, it's a documentary about Phil Rosenthal who created Everybody Loves Raymond doing a Russian adaptation of it. Oh. It's so funny. Like you couldn't write this shit. It's amazing. You definitely need to see this. <laughs> this is so great. Oh, yeah. Everyone go. Instead of watching the terrible American pilot, The Red Dwarf, just watch Exporting Raymond instead. So the American equivalence conversation, because you listed the equivalent as being a cartoon, that reminded me of when we tried to find one for the young ones. Mm -hmm. Tell me what you think of this. Crichton is Neil. Mm -hmm. Rimmer is Rick. Cat yes. is Mike. Lister is Viv. I had almost the exact same thing except I switched Cat and Lister because I think that Lister is a more you know calm chill person he's he's funnier than Mike obviously well they're both funnier than Mike well every everyone's funnier than Mike but I mean I think that he's kind of the cool one. I'm certainly and, and also as much as Rimmer and Lister don't get along Cat is so much more upfront in his being abusive and again with the really flamboyant entrances that was actually what made me think of 
almost the exact same analogy as you had. I'm so glad we had the same thought. I like that interpretation as well. I feel like I chose Kat to be Mike because they're both the cool one. Like, let's let's. Oh yeah, be no, he's definitely cooler. But in terms of like temperament, right? Like, I no think temperament. That, yeah, I think that Lister is actually cool. I mean, Cat is like flashy, fun, cool, but he's not like he's not like a low key kind of guy. Right. I, I guess I was just like you know, Cat's the cool one and Lister's the punk one. So you know, I think that I think that we both make good cases. But yeah, I had I had a similar thought for sure. <laughs> so so. Were you upset when I said that season one Rimmer is wannabe Rick? No, but I did definitely make a note of him being like Rick. I mean, obviously they're completely different people and it's a completely different show, although same producer. But I did draw the same parallel with him being Rick because like Rick, he is a complete loser, but he postures as a winner. He pretends to be more high status than he is and he likes to think, oh, well, I'm at least more important than you. Uh, But he just has absolutely no good qualities and is constantly reminded of that by everybody else yeah yeah Yeah. no i i definitely liked rimmer more and more especially at season two and um definitively after thanks for the memory yeah i also just think that rimmer is the funniest character for the same reason that i think that rick is the funniest character because he's so low status he's so put upon he's so (laughs) worthless but he's also he shows such funny range first of all i think that chris barry is an incredible comedic actor he's so good he has so many opportunities where he does these amazing impressions of his castmates which i then learned that earlier he had been on a show that was nothing but impressions and that made perfect sense because you know there's that part where he's got malfunctioning hologram software and he starts talking like Lister and Holly and the cat and then later on there's an episode where they all become robots and he does a spot on Crichton impression he's so fucking talented and then also in seasons four and five we see like so many different kinds of rumor first of all we gotta talk about Ace Rimmer because while you thought that regular Rimmer is like a wannabe Rick I thought that Ace Rimmer was a wannabe Flashheart He's, he's no flash art, but he'll do in a pinch. This is so cute. I like yeah. that. You're right. Yeah, no, he totally is. He's really funny. And again, he's a good example of a character who is both cool and funny. So take that, Mike. Mm-hmm. Sorry, we, we've been so mean to Mike for like two seasons. I've got to stop. But, um, but I love Mike. I, I also like, we love, all love Mike. Mike. But, but I love yeah. Ace Rimmer more, I think. But but yeah, we, so we see like cool, sexy, successful Rimmer. We also see <laughs> crazy Rimmer in a gingham dress with a penguin hand puppet frying people with his eyes. And we see like evil S&M Rimmer clad in fishnets. Like there's so many different <laughs> weird <laughs> incarnations that we see. But oh my God, this actually reminds me one of my favorite episodes, Polymorph. Oh yes. From season three, where they encounter a shape-shifting creature who subsists on a diet of emotions. So it stalks its prey by assuming a form that will elicit the emotional response that they desire and then it steals that emotion from them. So first we see it scare the shit out of Lister and then it steals his fear. So he becomes this really militant, like, let's go, I'm gonna kill this monster. It takes the cat's vanity and so we see a cat looking like a total slob. It takes Crichton's guilt, so he becomes rude. And then finally, it takes Rimmer's anger. And that is maybe one of my favorite alternate Rimmers, where he's got glasses and a little goatee. And he has a t-shirt that says, give Keish a chance. Which, yes. since he's a hologram, at first I was like, did he somewhere like make that shirt on his on the ship and then i was like no wait he doesn't have a physical form did he request that holly change him into that shirt like why does that change everything about his appearance but oh my god and then there's that quote let's get tough the time for talking is over 
call it extreme if you like, but I propose we hit it hard and hit it fast with a major, and I mean major leaflet campaign. <laughs> and while it's reeling from that, we follow up with a whisk drive, a car boot sales, a street theater, and possibly even some benefit concerts, okay? Now, if that's not enough, I'm sorry, it's time for the t-shirts. Mutants out. Chameleonic life forms? No, thanks. And if that's not enough, well, I don't know what will be. Has anyone ever told you that you are a disgusting, pus-filled bubo who has all the wit, charm, and self-possession of an Alsatian dog after a head swap operation? <laughs> Listen, you bunch of tarts, it's clobbering time! There's a body bag out there with that scudball's name on it, and I'm doing up the zip. Anyone who gets in my way gets a napalm enemy. I think we're all beginning to lose sight of the real issue here, which is what are we going to call ourselves? Um, and I think it comes down to a choice between the League Against Salivating Monsters or my own personal preference, which is the Committee for the Liberation and Integration of Terrifying Organisms and their rehabilitation into society. Um, one drawback with that, the abbreviation is clitoris. <laughs> I feel like season five is where everybody's at the top of their game, but maybe especially Rimmer. He's so good. He's totally That is a great yeah. Rimmer season. I know, which is why it's all the more bullshit that he is absent for season seven. Can we can we talk about the low years yet, or do we still want to revel in the good early stuff for a um, while longer? You, well, I, I, was, I was about to uh, tell you something. Too. <laughs> so, <laughs> it was um, fucking... It's season five, it's episode three, Terror Form. Oh, girl, I know what you're going to say. So they're on this planet that's like holding Rimmer hostage because the planet is Rimmer's psyche. Mm -hmm. It's really weird. There's all these gravestones that say, here lies self-respect and, you know, here lies hope. Here lies, you know, all these like good Charm. qualities yeah, in yeah. Rimmer that, di you know, died age 12. It's, it's really, mm -hmm. really sad. And meanwhile, Rimmer gets like chained up to a column. Mm-hmm. And he's very scantily clad and chained up mm -hmm. against this column. And the two ladies are oiling him down in preparation for his punishment by this, like, really evil lizard-looking thing. <laughs> Kaylee, why does he have a perfect body? Oh, dude. Uh, yeah. Kaylee. Uh, um, I've, I've lost my Kaylee. power of speech thinking about that scene. I'm, I'm tongue-tied. <laughs> it is the best body. It was. Yeah. So it's. Yeah. Gadurple, <laughs> diggle, doggle, miggle, foggle, nibble, nay. Kaylee. Like, I was not like, mad about that. I know that not... I said in our Life of Brian episode that the male form does nothing for me, but I would like to officially rescind that. After seeing was... Chris Mary <laughs> tied up. Because a, a, couple, a couple episodes earlier in, in Hollow Ship, you see him just shirtless, but kind of filmed from like the chest up. And I was going. Yeah. Hello, why do you have like excellent masculine shoulders? Like what's what's then when you see like the legs and the abs? It wasn't too much. It was the perfect oh, no, uh, amount yeah. of of muscle. Yeah, no, he's he's a hunk. Who knew? What what I was knew. it? Dude, and then we're watching him get oiled down. <laughs> I was like, "Excuse me? Like something something shifted in in my thinking." And I'm watching it Kaylee for the first time. I'm watching it and I'm going, "Well, Oh, oh, damn. There's nothing funny about this. I just want to watch this for the next 400 days. And I realized I was holding a glass of rosé. 
Oh god. <laughs> oh my god, for anyone who didn't understand that, listen to uh season 2 episode 2 of this podcast yes. and all will become clear. Holy <sighs> shit. Hold the glass That's of rosé. But uh, I mean, you know, damn, if there were any scene to drink rosé to fuck. Mm, yeah, Jesus Christ. You don't even need to look for red dwarf porn. You just need to cut that scene on a loop. And that's all That's all a lady needs. You know, it's funny. Even before that scene, which like definitely confirmed my feelings, I had the thought from very early on. Because remember, I after watching the first season of Monty Python's Flying Circus, I totally predicted your crush on Terry Jones. I was like, I know my friend Stephanie. I think she's going to think Terry's cute. And then I was so much writer than I ever could have imagined. Uh, I was thinking, Lister seems like the kind of guy that Stephanie wouldn't want to admit that she totally wants to bang. Whereas for me, Rimmer is the kind of guy that I totally don't want to admit that I want to bang. And I felt very vindicated by that scene because now I feel like I can admit it. And I won't be judged. Wait, you thought I wouldn't want to admit I want to bang Lister? Yeah. Oh, Lister's the love of my life. Okay. <laughs> in real life, though, if he were a real person and not just a cute actor playing a funny character, like like if you were Christine Kachansky on board that ship, you probably wouldn't want to actually be in a relationship with him. But you might think in the back of your mind, like, mm, am I wrong? No, you're 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 not wrong. But yeah, if 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 I think about real life. I don't know. I still feel like IRL, I would admit to wanting to fuck Lister before wanting to fuck Rimmer. Well, also, you and I are, like, pretty good at admitting embarrassing things to each other. Oh, God, that makes me think of the Wilma Flintstone conversation. I thought you didn't want to talk about that. I didn't say I didn't want to talk about it. We don't need to go yes, into you, detail. Yes, you did. You said, I don't want to talk about this when we record. But <laughs> clearly I've changed my like mind. Us. I'm willing to admit every embarrassing thing I've ever felt on air. But there is a scene at the beginning of one of the episodes where, you know, desperately horny and alone and stranded in space without a female Lister and Kat are watching an episode of the Flintstones together and they both start talking about how sexy Wilma is. Maybe we've been alone in deep space too long, but every time I see that show, her body drives me crazy. <laughs> is it me? I think in all probability, Wilma Flintstone is the most desirable woman who ever lived. That's good. I thought I was going strange. <laughs> She's incredible. What do you think of Betty? Betty Rubble? <laughs> Well, I would go with Betty. <laughs> but I'd be thinking of Wilma. This is crazy. Why are we talking about going to bed with Wilma Flintstone? You're right. We're nuts. This is an insane conversation. She'll never leave Fred and we know it. I definitely... Facebook message Stephanie saying, like, we have had this exact conversation about other cartoon characters. I know. No, I love, I love Lister. I love his sweet little Liverpudlian accent and his yeah. stupid sweet face. Oh, Lister's That's wonderful. So and, you know, and he's such a lovable character. It's funny, like, the whole impetus for the entire show happening is he literally saves a cat. Like, you love him instantly because he does the most sympathetic thing possible. Right? Yeah. It's so cute. That's what sets off all the rest of the three million years in motion. Yeah. Yeah. I, anyway, I, I cannot stress enough that uh, that scene with Rimmer is the hottest thing that I've seen in a long time. <laughs> you know, when I sent my mom an early cut of one of our Monty Python episodes, her only response was, you both need to get laid. <laughs> And, like, she's not wrong, but it hurts to hear that from one's mom. (laughs) 
I mean, in our defense, that scene with Rimmer at least involves a man with an incredible body being covered in oil by two attractive women. Like, that's enough to maybe make even a person who's not into this show go, huh, what's what's going on here? Whereas yeah. Monty Python and the Holy Grail, no. <laughs> We're talking about tortoises fucking Lord. and you know how Tim is attractive and didn't that monk have a pretty mouth? Like I, I your, that monk your did mother's... have a pretty mouth. I will, I will happily admit that. Um, that monk had a pretty while we're, mouth. While we're on this whole subject, is this a good time for fuck, Mary kill? Okay, let's do it. I've got slightly different answers for like, if I think about the characters in one through six, as opposed to mm-hmm. seven through eight. I think we have the exact same issue. <laughs> okay. Oh, and that's knows? a good, I, okay. Oh, maybe not. I'm really okay. curious to know what the issue is. Um, okay. And then as far as the later, later seasons, when they're very much older, I, I do want to state at the top, no, I did not grow more attractive to Lister <laughs> as he aged. I did not. That was one thing I did not predict. I mean, I didn't. I didn't think that you would. Is what I'm saying. I gave None you. of them actually. Okay. Like, uh, of course, Danny John Jules, Ageless. frozen in time. He spent his hiatus in stasis. There you go. But but when I watch the the late late episodes, I'm not thinking, oh fuck yeah, they've aged like fine wine. I'm like, oh look at these old guys running like around a fine rosé. <laughs> Oh, God. Mm. I ha- I don't actually know what answer I'm going to say now. I'm going to reason it out. I like to do this kind of on the fly and discover sure. my truth. Seasons one through six, I knew that I was going to marry Crichton. That was the only thing that was for certain. Because I've always dreamed of having a robot husband. Who wouldn't want that? And it's not that I'm attracted to Crichton. I want to make that very clear. I'm not attracted to Crichton. But... He's so sweet. And also, like, to have a husband who can cook and do the laundry, like, I know that it's a little bit, I don't know, misandrist of me to be like, I want a husband who's a domestic slave. And, like, robots are technically slaves. And there's there's actually a lot of interesting ethical issues that come up in a number of Red Dwarf episodes about artificial intelligence and everything. But, yeah, I was like, I definitely want to marry Crichton. And then... In season seven, he becomes terrible. Yes! I really, really hated him. And that's... Maybe, maybe we can pause the fuck, Mary kill for a second just to go into that. So season seven was when one of the creators, Rob Grant, decided to leave. And so Doug Naylor was left to write it by himself at that point. Though I think he had like a guest writers come in and help him. And that to me is the absolute nadir of the series. Season six already saw some changes where they lost Red Dwarf and then they are on Starbug for the whole time. And it's sort of like hopping from planet to planet and like adventure of the week kind of stuff. And also that means that they have no Holly. So that already, you're like, you're missing one of the main components, the main characters at that point. And it already felt like a slightly different show, but there were still some fun laughs to be had. And then season seven, it gets terrible because first of all, we lose Rimmer, who I have established is my favorite. And he gets replaced by Christine Kachansky. And it pains me so much that the only female character, apart from a floating head who exists for three seasons to play a computer, is terrible. She's so... She's so, I'm just going to read verbatim the notes that I had about Christine Kachansky, who, by the way, in the early seasons is played in guest star parts by the delightful Claire Grogan. She doesn't have a lot to her character, but you really do like her and you see why Lister does. She's this spunky little Scottish chick and she's, she's adorable. But then she gets replaced by this like uptight, prissy, middle class. She just, she completely changes. So yeah, these are the notes that I wrote down for season seven. I wrote, new Kachansky is such a girl. Why can't she be funny or spunky or anything? No rimmer. This is bullshit. She is dressed like a spice girl. If I don't look good, I don't feel good. She's like the second Indiana Jones woman. Ooh, that's true. Yeah. You want a Marion. You don't want a fucking Willie. 
Anyway. And yet I hate how Crichton just kind of becomes an open misogynist. Yes, that's the other thing. Uh, then the next thing that I wrote was Crichton becomes awful when she arrives. So we lose one of the funniest characters. And then we also lose essentially like the kindest, sweetest character becomes not only really mean to her, but also like really whiny and annoying. And he always cries until Mr. like, oh, yeah, she's going to replace me and you're not going to like me anymore. And I'm like, shut up. Only dogs can hear you. That was so weird because um, yeah. Robert a, yeah. Lewin, Llewellyn, Llewellyn is so fucking funny. Yeah, no, they just took his character in a terrible direction. Same thing with Kachansky. And this is another thing that I want to say, like, like I said, it really pains me that the only female character that they have is so terrible. And like, I feel bad saying this because as I said, like the, I like her in the early seasons, but then when she gets recast as Chloe Annette, I don't think it's her fault necessarily. I think she was just placed in a situation that she wasn't prepared for because they they could have written her better. Clearly, they are able to write funny female characters because they have Holly and they have all of the parallel universe girls. Like, you just, again, like, take your own advice. Women are just people. They're not aliens. Mm -hmm. But they could have opted for a comedic actress. There is no shortage of them over there. Um, or anywhere, really. And yet they, they opted for someone who is very pretty and who is also, you know, 10 years younger than the original actress that they cast because it's, like, later on in the run. And, you know, if you if you just want to have there be, like, a token female sex pot character, I guess that's fine if that's what you're doing. But, like, the comedy is going to suffer when you only have four people in the show and one of them can't carry any weight comedically. Yeah. And then another one of them becomes terrible because of that character's presence, because that's a weird direction that you decided to go in. I agree with everything you're saying. Yeah. And therefore, what is <laughs> yes. your shag, Mary kill? <laughs> yes. Oh, wait, sorry. One more thing about season seven that's weird is that they, that was also the first season, and I think the only season where they completely abandoned the studio audience. I think it was season six that they also didn't have a studio audience, but they didn't even add laughter after the fact. It's like... Some of the episodes have some laughter, but some of them just have awkward spaces where there's no laugh track at all. The first episode of season seven, there was no laugh track, and then it resumed yeah. in the following episode. So season seven it's weird. is so weird in so many different ways. And then on top of that, because there's no laughter, it kind of feels like the opening scene of like a Red Dwarf movie. And if mm -hmm. you were sitting in the audience, you'd be going, oh, no. <laughs> no, it's true. I mean, it kind of opens. You can tell the budget's better. The camera's different. And um, Lister's filming himself, right? And he's catching you up on everything that's happened in, in the time since season six, which ends on a cliffhanger. Right. And then he and Crichton have like a four minute conversation about curry. And, you know, throughout yeah. seasons one through six, there is the occasional reference to how Lister loves drinking beer and eating curry. And mm -hmm. it's cute. It's it's part of his character. But I was like, why are we now kind of jumping the curry shark? This is too much talk <laughs> about curry. Yes, we all get it. Oh, like, yeah. why are... Uh, yeah. Oi, season seven was rough. So this is something that we haven't really talked about. But, you know, like with most of the shows, almost all of the shows that we've talked about so far... Again, complete sausage fest. And like, how do you feel about that as a female watcher? Because there are a lot of female Red Dwarf fans. And I think that it's a really funny show. It's not a misogynistic show in most instances. The lack of female characters, I think, is something that, 
you know, it, it certainly increases the loneliness factor because if there was another, you know, female human, then like that could relieve some of the loneliness. And like a lot of the funniness comes from the fact that these are guys are like really horny. One of them doesn't even have a body anymore and has only had sex once. Cat, it is revealed, obviously, because he's the only one of his kind is a virgin. I, I also, I think that it's always interesting in science fiction that takes place in the distant future that um, the as much as there's there's so much imagination of all of these possibilities, they can never imagine a technology beyond what is currently available like you know obviously it's super futuristic and everything in sci-fi but it's so 80s like the the way that lister is caught in the pilot it's a funny little character moment but the captain says lister not only are you stupid enough to smuggle a cat on board but you took a photo of yourself with the cat and sent it to be processed in the ship's lab and like <laughs> you know even just 20 years later it's like we had digital photos it wouldn't be processed in a lab and right. now that's the kind of dumb shit that people do all the time like accidentally posting things on social media that they shouldn't because the ease of technology makes it really easy to be thoughtless and careless about sharing our actions. But um, but yeah, they can't imagine past that. And they also can't ever imagine past the patriarchy. Like there's never an equal gender split. It's always like no females or one token female. And it's just interesting. Like what is cool about the show is that it does seem genuinely post-racial. Like it's yeah. cool that it's a, you know, a mostly racially balanced cast. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and that, you know, Lister is black and it's not a big deal at all. But yeah, they, they can never imagine a world where women are, you know, of equal status and power. Yeah, I mean, there's so much I give the show credit for. Mm -hmm. I'm glad that you brought up the fact that it's probably the most racially balanced show we've discussed. Oh, for sure. Is it the you only know. one that has any minority characters in it so far? Maybe, bro. Maybe we'll do De better. But, yeah. you know, yeah. <laughs> so there's that, which is huge. But, you know, yeah, it's always frustrating when something has zero women. And I know that we've got Holly, mm -hmm. but for the most part, zero. Because Holly yeah. does eventually get replaced by male Holly again. Yeah, and also Holly, while having a female actress portraying that character is still a sexless computer it's not really a yeah. woman as far as shows that don't feature any women go this is one that does not piss me off because i feel like when they do bring a woman in with the exception of kachansky in season seven they put them to very good use and like mm -hmm. for example in parallel universe they use that opportunity to actually yeah comment on the dynamic yeah, yeah. between men and women but yeah i almost feel like it's worse to then introduce a female lead and have her be like the, the worst. worst. That's it's that's it's like okay. I would yeah. You know. I would rather have there be no women than a single awful woman. Well, especially just, yeah. since as, as soon as she enters the story and they start fucking with things like the injection that makes your sexual magnetism heighten and you become irresistible, like they start kind of playing around with yeah. with that so that they can fuck Kachansky. Whereas previously, obviously, because there weren't any women, they therefore couldn't try to manipulate any women into having sex with them. Yeah. Which which made Red Dwarf, while male-dominated, also a safer space for female fans because we weren't <laughs> going to feel alienated by things that they were saying about us. Yeah. Yeah. No, that that is very true. Okay, so so fuck Mary Kill. Lister, Rimmer, Crichton, and Cat as our options. Like, I don't think it's worth including Holly, who's just a computer. <laughs> So my, my answer for seasons one through six, definitely Mary Crichton. Um, you go now because I don't actually know what the rest of my answers are. I, I want to make it clear that beyond season one, when I didn't like Rimmer, I don't want to kill any of these characters at all. I don't want to kill any of them. And, um, but I, but I have to marry Lister because okay. I think he is the cutest thing. And while, 
while he is a slob, we have to consider, you know, if Lister and I are going to get married, let's, let's be honest, the likelihood is that he is going to ask me. And if there's one thing that he does kind of take seriously, it's at least in seasons one through six, it's that he really does love Kachansky. Mm -hmm. And for her, he would want to be a better man. And so I feel that if I'm actually going to marry Lister, it's because he is ready and he's going to grow up a bit and we're going to have a a wonderful marriage and it's going to be great. Also, they make references to how he is unhygienic but it's not like a baldric where you can actually see that or like a rick where you can see no that um, is true he's not filthy he's just kind of slobbish lister is like the physically like most hygienic looking unhygienic comedy character so i'm <laughs> sure enough. that yeah, we can yeah. we can work on that as well so i'm gonna i'm gonna marry lister um i have to have Crichton as my roommate for the similar That's reasons smart. that you would want to marry him is because okay. i feel like not only would he again be be very helpful and and handy although i too would be grateful that lister has broken his programming mm-hmm. i feel like he's also a peacemaker mm-hmm. so if my wonderful husband lister and i were ever fighting i feel like he'd be great to sort of be a mediator and to yeah. help us get through rough patches um and then sadly I mean, Rimmer looks too good, naked, covered in oil. I have to fuck him and kill Cat. <laughs> Man, I was so expecting for that to go the other way. Because I feel like Rimmer is the one that you should want to kill. But I like, know. I'll say it. I, I totally want to fuck Rimmer most out of all of these. It's so hard to... Here, here's the thing. Cat is also so cute. And like those outfits, my God. But realistically... Would he be any good in bed? Probably not, because he's a virgin. Not that Rimmer has had a lot of experience. He's had 12 minutes, including the time it took to eat the pizza. Um, Right. Yeah, it's hard. Oh, God, I don't know. I don't want to... Oh, God, this is really, really difficult. Can I just just fuck them all and not have to kill any of them? Well, I don't want to... I don't want to marry Lister. He's, He's all yours. I definitely couldn't marry the cat. I probably... I might have to kill the cat, too. As much as I love him, I don't think that he would be a good companion in really any way. Oh, yeah, I don't know. I might. I might. Oh, it's terrible because, again, he's got such a terrible personality, but such a good body. <laughs> I might marry Rimmer because I think that the thing that he said about, like, all I want is to love and be loved. I think that maybe that could soften him a bit and make him better. Sort of like how you think that Lister could become a better man. For you. We're so delusional saying this to ourselves. Like women I, throughout I, the millennia have been saying this about the men that they love and want to change and it's never going to fucking happen. But you know what? This is fiction and it's our fantasy. So so screw you, you cynics. Well, um, you know, the the case I will make for, for Lister, though, is that all of his flaws are things that you you kind of expect to sort of drop as you as you get older, which is like laziness and messiness. Yeah. Rimmer says a lot of kind of disturbing rapey things about ladies, which is why I would only fuck him. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. I think it's just, uh, it's it's so shallow and stupid, but it just comes down to I'm more attracted to Rimmer than I am to Lister, so I might... You're going to kill Lister and... Oh. Or maybe, you know what, as much as it would be cool to have a robot husband, maybe I'll steal your idea and have him be my roommate and then fuck Lister. Because I wouldn't want to have someone sloppy as my roommate. So yeah, that's my answer. Well, because 
Maybe. If you marry Crichton, are you going to have sex with him? Because remember, he has no penis. No, that's what Rimmer's for. <laughs> okay, sweet. But then again, if we talk about season eight, let's say. No, because season seven is when Crichton is the worst. I'd probably kill Crichton. Fuck cat. Be roommates with Rimmer because he couldn't be that messy and marry Lister. Is that good? I don't know. Okay. For, Just switching them season, all up because it changes so much in eight, season seven. I have to kill Crichton which means I could live with Kat because I think that would be amusing. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then I'm one. still still fucking and marrying the same people. Cool, cool. All right. Yeah, yeah that was a hard one, man. The others that, that we've done, there's usually a pretty good answer. I don't, I don't feel confident about any of my answers in that. You don't? Okay. I felt more confident talking it out with you just there. Well, I feel good. I feel okay about it. feel bad about killing Kat, but I also I don't want to fuck a cat. So there we go. <laughs> but there's a lot of cartoon characters. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, season eight, the whole rest of the Red Dwarf crew comes back to life because they are rebuilt by nanobots. It just completely undoes the premise of we're alone floating in space. It's a very claustrophobic, you know, limited world of a sitcom where it's just a few people or beings that can't really stand each other alone in space for all eternity. Oh, I had a note that I just read. It, I wrote, I don't want all the other people. Imagine if the young ones had a third season where they were at university. Imagine <laughs> if Father Ted had a fourth season where they all got to return to the mainland forever. Like, it's just... <laughs> horrible it's stuff i don't want to see that is no that is completely true yeah it completely undoes the whole it, it sounds like a network note where it's like we love this idea where they're all marooned in space alone but what if they weren't you know it's like <laughs> do they have to be stranded yeah. on an island what if gilligan and his friends are just on land like that's that's, yes, there yeah. are some funny moments in season eight, and I will give them credit. It's good that they got back in front of a studio audience. So like there's laughter. There are some funny jokes. It's not terrible like season seven. I think my absolute favorite joke in the whole thing is like, there's just this one visual thing. Maybe we'll tweet it or something. But Rimmer does this really absurdly long salute to the captain. That's like, you're rolling your eyes. Did you not enjoy that? Well, it, I feel like... I, I might have enjoyed it more in a stronger season, but I didn't appreciate that it was one of the funniest jokes in an entire season of television. Yeah. Which also, by the way, season seven and eight, for, for reasons unbeknownst to me, are longer than all of the other seasons. They that add two episodes to each one. Forgot about so that. So in an, in an eight episode season, if the funniest part is the way that Rimmer salutes someone, yes, I, I will I, roll my eyes Okay, see, I, I get that. For me, it was sort of the exact opposite, but like the same issue, but where it's like, it stands out so much for being like the only funny thing that it's like it's like a mirage of an oasis in the desert of comedy yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh you know what's an episode that i really love is back to reality oh oh yes yes yes, yes. i, I feel like that could have ended the show if we're if we're being real oh yeah 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 so back to reality is where they encounter a despair squid that somehow infects the beings around it to being so depressed that they want to commit suicide and then they all die and then it is we, we cut to a reveal that they have all been playing an immersive computer game for the last five years it's great when you see these graphics that say game over mm -hmm. and then beetle bamford from sweeney todd is the sort of engineer overseeing them playing this game and it's performance in this he's so, he, he's, he's so good in it and so he starts asking them you know oh who's who's playing rimmer who's playing lister did you get kajanska 
Was I supposed to? <laughs> supposed to? That's the objective of the game for Lister, you twonk. <laughs> I mean, you're separated to begin with, then basically, it's a love story across time, space, death and reality. He must have got the easy stuff, that. Here, what did you think of the planet of the nymphomaniacs? <laughs> the planet of the what? But you missed that. Oh, that's a riot, man. <laughs> Some people spend years on that. Which one was Rimmer? Me. <laughs> oh, he's amazing, isn't he? You can say that again. How long did it take you to suss him out, then? Oh, I had him sussed right from the beginning. What, really? You found the captain's message right away? <laughs> what captain's message? The one that's sitting in the microdot in the eye in Rimmer's swimming certificate. Well, that's the clue, isn't it? Rimmer having a swimming certificate and not being able to swim. And that's a clue? It's a blatant clue, isn't it? A blatant clue to what? A blatant clue to the truth behind Rimmer. What truth? The truth to why he's such an insufferable prat. <laughs> That's because of his parents, his upbringing, his background, the fact he was never loved. No, no, no. Yes, yes, yes. No, no, no. Yes, yes, yes. No! <laughs> what was it, then? He was a hand-picked special agent for the Space Corps. He had his memory arrays and was programmed to act like a complete swank. So no one suspected he was on a secret mission to destroy Red Dwarf in order to guide Lister to his destiny as creator of the second universe. You what? Yeah. <laughs> you know that bit where Lister jump starts the second Big Bang with jump leads from Starbuck? Jump starts the second Big Bang. Well, that's the final irony, isn't it? Lister, the ultimate atheist, turns out, in fact, to be God. <laughs> what? It's all in the captain's message. It's all in the microdots. Hang on a minute. Are you, are you seriously telling me you were playing the Pratt version of Rimmer for all that time? For four years? Oh, well, that's a classic, Daddy. That's a classic. It's kind of cute how, like, you think that they, not only were they playing this virtual reality game, they but they also really, badly. really sucked at it. Yeah, yeah. And I do, it sort of goes back to the Inquisitor episode and how I think that we all at times feel like we are fucking up on the mission of our lives and there is some better version that we could be living. Like, you know, I feel like sometimes I'm playing the Pratt version of Kaylee. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. Maybe that's why I identify with Rimmer so much. It's so good. But how relieved were you, though, when, when you discovered that that was an illusion created by the despair squid? Oh, yeah, I was very relieved. It's so nice for them to wake up and then go back into their reality and realize that, like, they're happier being who they are. No, for sure. It's very Wizard of Oz. And um, it's also something that happens in a lot of science fiction in general, where there's any sort of time travel and people go back in time to fix this thing, but then they realize that things were actually better the way that they were. There's a, there's a weird episode that I didn't love where they go back in time and accidentally undo the Kennedy assassination and it ends up ruining everything and then they have to go and recreate it that felt super tasteless to me dude thank you what what season was that again i think it i, I think it was season seven the episode is tika to ride i yeah that was the season opener dude i'm glad you said that because i was so uncomfortable when they were trying to redo the kennedy assassination yeah i just feel like it's too soon even though it was you know decades before i was born i feel kind of like 
you know that's that's our tragedy if you want to if you want to like make some sort of weird comment about how it was for the best that something really shitty that happened in the UK happened maybe that's fine but the the whole conclusion that like well this is how it has to be and then like the weird stupid twist that they have at the end is that Kennedy himself has to be the shooter on the grassy knoll it's like it it's it's that same snake eating its own tail thing where like you know Lister is his own father I don't I really didn't like that it felt really way too soon and really politically you know insensitive and tasteless and I, I, I it was weird I felt the same way my notes I've got like three bullet points and it says okay now they're gonna kill JFK the next note is just this is comma uh and then the next line is, I'm so offended. Yeah, I know. And like, I don't want to be one of those people that's like, oh, I was offended by the... But like, it really, it wasn't necessary. It didn't make any good point about anything. It was just... Well, and this is something that you and I kind of often come back to either via this podcast or just in our conversations about comedy. It's like... Was it funny? <laughs> it wasn't funny. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, if it's that's not okay. even funny, which maybe that would be challenging. Let's let's make a huge, like, world-changing assassination funny. Okay, if you want to take that on, you better fucking deliver. Yeah. Because otherwise, I'm just watching a bunch of English people yeah. with no laugh track yeah, kill the president. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, like... it's weird. It's like... What year would this have been? I don't know. You know, that that's that's our parents' like defining moment of a generation where they all remember where they were. And I'm thinking like 9/11. 10 years in the future, are they going to do a thing about how like it's okay and it's right that 9-11 happened? Actually, I yeah. think Family Guy did do an episode like that. So I rest my case. But, you know, it's just, it feels icky. And I also just... I don't like that logic of time travel where it's like, I mean, I know that the butterfly effect and everything affects everything, but like the conclusion that they always come to, which is that we are living in the best of all possible worlds, that's bullshit. I don't think that if you went back in time and undid major, you know, atrocities, that it would change things for the worse automatically. No, and and when you consider the JFK assassination, I mean, you also sort of can't think about that without thinking of also the Martin Luther King assassination and Bobby Kennedy's assassination. Like Mm -hmm. there were a lot of really creepy things happening to people who were trying to change the country for good. And it's gotta be a lie. We tell ourselves that this is the way things had to have happened. Right. Like that's, that's a terrible lie to tell yourself. It's like, Nope. I think those guys were all onto something really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that, that was definitely like a low point. Yeah. No, I, I, I kind of, uh, kind of erased that from my mind. (laughs) <laughs> you wiped it you wiped your bottom of it um, yeah <laughs> so so then we, we've talked a lot about season seven and season eight so then there was like a 10-year hiatus and they were going to do they always wanted to do a red dwarf movie but due to lack of funding never quite got off the ground but then in 2009 it came back on the channel dave they did a three-part special called red dwarf back to earth which was so which, bizarre man which was very strange it was a concept that i feel like i've seen better executed like league of gentlemen's apocalypse did it better basically the premise is that these fictional characters somehow land on earth in the real world and then they discover that they are the subject of a very popular science fiction comedy show and then they confront their creators and the actors who play them uh in order to somehow i don't even remember what the objective was I wasn't just... it because like the the show is gonna end so they have to beg everybody oh, not to fucking cancel was. red dwarf yeah it just yeah. it just got like too meta but also it just felt like it was so slow paced and again with the lack of a laugh track it, but they were taking those pauses like it, it, there's so much more fun that can be had when like fictional characters come to life and like I wanted to see them all interacting with the actors who played them and everything but I think 
isn't Craig Charles the only one that they actually talk to? Yep. It just, there were sort of a lot of missed opportunities. Um, but whatever. Like, it's, they, they got that out of their system. And then they came back for three more series. And uh, then I, I also feel like Back to Earth was the last time there was just, like, time travel for the sake of Kachansky, right? Did they finally kind of put that to rest? I hope so. I just, ugh. Because Dave could have, because I feel like the character was going to stay on Earth with Kachansky, but then they were able to escape back to the other dimension, so we left her yeah. in the other dimension. Yeah. I don't know, man. I don't know, man. I don't know either. What, something that I really liked about the idea of Kachansky early on, I like that he did have, you know, it, it gave Lister something to strive for because, like, he had a crush. And, you know, it, it's established in the first episode that, like, she doesn't really think very much of him and they don't really have a real relationship and they've only spoken, like, about a hundred words in their whole relationship together. There's something sweet about that unrequited love and it does give you something to root for. That's another thing that sucked about the American pilot, in addition to containing absolutely no comedy and, ha- and everybody being terrible except for of course Robert Llewellyn who was reprising his role as Crichton in the pilot which was weird because he was just on board Red Dwarf to start with I didn't know that he was in the American remake I know yeah well thank god it didn't go that would have been it's like how um it's like how Nigel Planer was going to be in the American remake of The Young Ones that fortunately never happened like you dodged a bullet there for sure but another thing so like you know in the in the pilot of the British show we see just like a little tiny like sort of antagonistic but also kind of flirty interaction between Kachansky and Lister and like you get a sense like you're you're rooting for them both like you it's just like a tiny little taste they're they're both very winning but you know that it's like nothing's happened between them but in this case we have a you know completely uncharismatic Kachansky breaking up with Lister because apparently they've been seeing each other. And then he goes into stasis and she like mouths I love you through the fucking door. And it's like, I don't, what? No, I, oh, I, ha- I hated everything about that. Dude, like, I, they have no I, chemistry at all, but she loves him. Like, what the fuck? I just realized that Kachansky is like Lister's Carl. <laughs> Life is full of interruptions and complications. Like a radiation leak that kills the entire crew of your mining ship. Yes. Anyway. Oh, God. But following back to Earth, that's when they're they're back on the ship. Yeah. And, and it's like they're all there. And <laughs> Holly's back. And it's as if nothing ever happened. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, which is fine. And there are some, you know, this is a show that kind of like with The Simpsons, it had its heyday. And then it's gone on maybe longer than it should. But I'm glad that it did because there are still some really good moments in the later seasons, even if they are fewer and farther between. Um, it's the same thing that I, that I said about AbFab, where it's like, you know, more of something that you love is always better because even if you have to slog through some stuff that's maybe not as great as the stuff that you remember, you might get a fun, you know, unexpected nugget of, of goodness. So... What are some episodes from the later seasons that you enjoy? When Crichton has a midlife crisis... Mm-hmm. I thought that that was a great return to form. Obviously, it's a return to form because they're back on the fucking spaceship and it's just them again, as yeah. opposed to when the whole crew was alive, which, uh, whatever. Um, <laughs> but yeah. I love that episode because, you know, Crichton was having a midlife crisis. And so it was back to mm-hmm. the stuff they nailed in seasons one through five, especially, are these bigger questions about life and death and time yeah. and what has what has it all meant you know for Lister in the early seasons it's like what does it mean to be alive if you're stuck in one place with the same 
people who can't relate to you and you have nothing to strive for, you have yeah. nothing going on. What does it mean to survive and why do I continue to want to survive? Mm -hmm. Like during one of the many times that you think they're all going to die because they're now we're running out of oxygen. You know, like that happens a bunch of times. Um, I made a note like, so we've got one human who's kind of shitty, a robot, a cat, and a hologram who is technically already dead. And yet I'm so afraid for all of their lives right now. Mm -hmm. Like that to me is, that's the human spirit. That's yeah. the existential, well, why am I still doing this? Because I fucking must. Like, I yeah. love that about the show. And so... That's why I liked Crichton having a midlife, mid, midlife, a midlife crisis <laughs> yeah. is because it was, it, you know, it's back to the question of what has this all meant? What does it mean to be alive when I'm a mechanoid yeah. and I have been made sentient because someone taught me how to lie? Mm -hmm. You know, I, I kind of felt like that was, you know, again, back to form and the bigger questions and metaphors and, yeah. and all that. No, it is it is very existential. And also something that I love and something that we hinted at earlier in our conversation was the idea that even the minor characters that are just like the toaster and the vending machines, they get personalities and they get little existential crises. Like the toaster in the, one of the very early episodes has this whole meltdown of like, well, it's my only purpose is to serve toast. So if you don't want any toast, then what's the point of my going on? Yeah. Like if we all have... You know, we're struggling to fulfill our purpose. Some of us don't actually even know what it is. And then there are the droids that they do know what it is and they can't fulfill it. It's it's everyone is everyone is struggling, even the machines. It's great. I know. I know. Well, I also loved um, the idea of Crichton on his last day being unafraid of death because he knows he's going to go to Silicon Heaven. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they have, you know, a, a kind of line where he tricks his mechanoid replacement into believing that there's no Silicon Heaven. Mm -hmm. But then it turns out that he reveals, of course, there's a Silicon Heaven. But yeah, there, there, there's a line earlier about like, well, heaven is something that people just had to invent so they wouldn't go insane. Yeah, yeah. I thought, yep, there we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, here's a here's a random little observation. But in a in episode four, waiting for God, we see that there is a smell book for cats, and we see Lister teaching, and it says like, "See, Dick, run, run, Dick, run." And I just wrote the line, "What does Dick smell like?" You don't remember? <laughs> <laughs> Walked into that one, Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh man. Oh, wait, I didn't realize when I first saw this, but the episode Confidence and Paranoia, I didn't realize that Craig Ferguson was Confidence. That was so delightful to see him. Oh, I know. I loved seeing him, but it also pisses me off every time they make a Scottish actor struggle with an American accent. That was interesting because that actually, that, that made me think of, there are a lot of characters in this who do American accents, and I think it's interesting to pick up on why. For the same reason that in American movies and TV shows, like, why do we have people being British? Like, why why is um, Lumiere French and Cogsworth is English and everyone else is American? Like, it makes a certain sense when we think about national stereotypes. Like, there's the there's the sexy, you know, bon vivant, and then there's the, the uptight stickler, and then there's just normal people or creatures or beasts or what have you. But, mm -hmm. but yeah, confidence is is american obviously the the right. stupid dog in the parallel universe is also american and southern specifically um yeah. it's interesting that that Crichton he's british in the one-off episode where he's played by by david ross but then when robert llewellyn takes over he's american and i like american Crichton better than i like british Crichton, even though it's not his natural accent he does a good job of it and he feels very much like good guy hero sort of like superman-y kind of thing yeah, it's it's a it's a very mechanical sounding sort of accent that he came up with because yeah. even when even when he does um pronounce an R 
soft, like in a in an English way, it still somehow makes sense for Crichton because yeah. he doesn't sound American or English to me. He just sounds proper mm-hmm. w- w- and speaks with proper diction because that would make it's sense true. for a robot. It yeah. absolutely does. We barely touched on the episode Better Than Life, but that's where they mm. get this computer game that's like virtual reality, where basically they can get anything they want. Anything that they can imagine is theirs. They can have sex with Marilyn Monroe. They can eat whatever food they want. Cat uh, <laughs> gets a, a girlfriend who's a mermaid with the fish half on the top and the lady legs on the bottom, which does make sense, I guess, especially if you're a cat. Yep. But then Rimmer ends up fantasizing himself into a total nightmare scenario where things just keep getting worse and worse and it's the same thing with terraform where it's like he's he's the thing in his way it's his own like self-defeating subconscious that will not allow him to have a nice life or nice things or believe that anything good is capable of happening to him and that's what that's why i love him so much and that's why i sort of identify that's actually a reason that i never want to like take hallucinogenic drugs because i just know that i would have a bad trip (laughs) and you know that i I feel you on that yeah i feel you on that that I, yeah yeah cannot do it i do love this show so much i know we've been critical of some parts of it but generally i just think that it's so delightful and so silly there's so many good laughs lovable wonderful characters a very unique premise that you don't really see anywhere yeah else. no it was it was a good good show i am so happy that i got to finally watch it and i know that you know it's so something that i love about it that's not um on the screen but i love that people describe it as a commercial hit that was also somehow a cult yes a hit (laughs) and um and you can sort of see you can sort of see why yeah because it's got this incredible premise of sci-fi which is popular worldwide Mm -hmm. people go insane for it i mean yeah fucking star wars and star trek hello like Mm -hmm. people love sci-fi um but it's but it's a comedy about people who aren't good at living in this world too (laughs) they're not they're not good at living in a sci-fi world and um there's they're constantly being held back by their own human-like tendencies Mm -hmm. you know Lister is a human and you know the rest are human-like so that's why I said human-like tendencies so it makes it you know it's always kind of bringing it back to everybody's sad little shared reality with where Mm -hmm. there's insecurity and disappointments and you know romantic entanglements that don't go the way you want Mm -hmm. and um but you got to have friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or at no, least acquaintances. I, I know, yeah. I know. I completely, I completely dug it. Yeah. Oh, I'm so bad. Speaking of friends, we did want to take a second just to acknowledge some of the people online who have been really supportive and awesome. Our followers, we've got some good people out there. Mm-hmm. We're constantly hearing from these awesome people, um, Tyler, Ariel, Erica, um, Lark Elizabeth. I did not confirm what your first name actually is, but you're the shit. They're always <laughs> so good at retweeting and liking and commenting. And um, a good amount of them have left um, reviews for us on Apple Podcasts, which we really, really appreciate. Um, Some other people who have reviewed us are, you know, a nice lad named Norman, who says that he spat out his tea during our Faulty Towers episode, which just makes (laughs) my fucking day. Um, Also, Real Lady Brady, Twisted Fan 89, Brian from LA, 
Funny Girl, M15AV, Super E Money Money Money, Marissa C, um, LJ from the Bygones podcast, um, the people at the Girls 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 podcast, Harriet from The Eating Coach, Becky from Too Stupid to Live, and Katie from TFGIF. And last but not least, our friend Melanie, who has sent us fan mail after literally every episode. <laughs> and it is always so wonderful to be like, oh my god. First person to listen, first person to respond really thoughtfully. And I love hearing from Mel because nine out of 10 times she has not watched what we talked about, but she still picks up on something that she found relatable and interesting. And it's so wonderful to hear that feedback. So thank yeah. you for all of you for making yeah, our day. Thanks thanks for the love. Now go forth and, yes. and spread it. So much love. <laughs> that sounded um, go forth and spread it all over our Twitter and Instagram at Anglo Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at Anglophilia anglophiliapodcast.com and you can in fact email us um at anglophiliapodcast at gmail.com yeah. i think we do in fact have we an do. email yeah. address if, if you know 280 yeah. characters is that what it's up to know if that's not enough to express your your complicated feelings then by all means shoot us an email yeah so far we've had exactly one person reach out to us via email so shout out to francine our lovely pen pal from across the pond uh she's struck up a delightful little correspondence with us and we encourage more of you to do the same because we love hearing from you guys no we we absolutely want to want to hear from you and engage with you and um you know if you're from across the pond and you know of some shows that you think that we would like that we might not have heard of since we're over here go ahead and let us know what those are because oh, we're open to that yeah, yeah i mean i was thinking at some point it would be really fun to have like a fan request season once we've built up enough of a following that we could get like suggestions of things that we've never heard of and would never otherwise hear of so same so yeah same. keep in mind tell us tell us what your favorite obscure things are that we might not have heard of over here oh and one last bit of cool news we have merchandise go to our website and you can purchase beautiful enamel pins designed by my wonderful sister Jema, who did our logo i god i guess i guess that's it i am so excited to continue doing this kaylee what are we watching next do you know because i don't we will be watching <laughs> french and saunders oh yes it's ladies night and the feel is right <laughs> indeed so anyway yeah until next time uh smeg off is that a rude thing to say that's a rude thing to say that's a rude thing to say, especially since I am now thinking of someone taking smegma off their genitals. Ew, okay. Oh, I'm going to cut this whole thing. Let's just say, um, later, smegheads. <laughs> later, smegheads. <laughs>